welcome to the Find Your Path podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding and defining your own unique path at work and in your career. I'm your host, career and leadership coach, Michelle Yu, and I'm here to show you what's possible in the realm of your career, which starts by unlocking the power of your mind. Life is way too short to be following someone else's path, and you should work on the things that you enjoy. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, I have a special guest on the podcast today that I am so excited to be introducing. I met her through a mutual friend this year, and the first conversation we had, we knew that there was a special connection there because we're so rooted in fighting the same things in the same causes. And I think she just has such a remarkable background, both in her career and also the lens and the values that she brings to the table. So I want to take a moment to introduce Layla Ramirez on the podcast. She is a systems thinker who has built a reputation for operational excellence, conflict resolution, and executive coaching. She currently works at Amazon Web Services as an IDE, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity practitioner, where she's accountable for building and scaling and managing leadership development across the globe to the needs of early, mid, and executive level Latinx talent. Additionally, she's a first-generation Harvard Business School alum and Smith College alumni. Layla's worked in various capacities like operations, business development, and DEI across various sectors, including Wall Street, nonprofit, and tech. She's a trusted advisor to senior executives and board members and currently serves as the chief of staff to the CEO at the Dahara Collective, and she's a board member for the Bexel Initiative. Layla's also held board positions in nonprofit organizations that focus on college readiness and college access, and she uses her overall experience to help solve problems and drive sustainable results across the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. As you can see, she definitely has a wealth of knowledge and experience, and in our episode today, we talk about everything from transitioning careers and making major industry shifts and career jumps and what that process was like for her. In addition to coaching tidbits for people who are first generation and making waves in their careers. So there's so much wisdom to be shared in our conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Find Your Path podcast. Very excited to be having a conversation with Layla Ramirez today. She has an amazing background, there's so much interesting things that she's done in her course of the career. But Layla, I just wanted to learn more about your journey and how you got to this place right now. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me. It's not often uh, that, that, that we get the chance to have these conversations and to go in so much depth in honoring you know, a specific group of folks. So thank you. In terms of my career journey, so, um, so fitting that we would have this conversation today. I had a conversation with a career coach today and I identified myself as a habitual career switcher. And one of the things that she mentioned to me um, is that it didn't surprise her considering that I also identify as someone who's like a highly sensitive person. She says that folks that are highly sensitive don't really stay in specific roles for too long because you are able to really just surgically focus in on 
all the things that maybe are working either for the company or for you. And so you make a quick decision, not a quick decision, but a very thoughtful and intentional decision away from that. So with that being the case, I'll tell you sort of where I started, what my guiding sort of question or decision was in transitioning, and then I'll let you know where I am right now. So first and foremost, humble beginnings, grew up low income, checked all the boxes in terms of like folks who, you know, one would say benefits from like uh, all sorts of social services and things like that. And so with that being the case, after college, it was not, 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 there was no doubt in my mind that I needed to get a job. And I chose um, financial services to start my career in um, because I was an econ major and it made sense. Plus they were just literally pumping us into that, into that, that industry. So I did the Wall Street thing, worked in finance, in financial services for about four years uh, before sort of having sort of like an existential crisis, asking myself the question, well, Layla, you know, you can get really wealthy doing this. You can make other people really wealthy, but is that what you want your life to be about? The short answer to that was no. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to just, you know, find another place. Right. And so I quit Wall Street, no job lined up. And if you're familiar with the term recovering um, banker, or recovering consultant, I was one of those. I made a hard pivot into the social sector afterwards. And so um, I spent probably two of the most transformational years of my career thus far at an organization that I, you know, I'm drinking all the Kool-Aid of um, to this day. And my work there was really uh, the introduction into inclusion related work, an introduction into partnerships and managing how to get folks uh, like me into more high, high profile, fast track roles in corporate America. I used to say uh, when I was working with partners that we were helping to change the complexion of corporate America. So very mission driven, very purposeful. After that, I actually went to business school. And um, in business school, I had the privilege of doing a pre-MBA internship and also an internship during my intervening summer. The first was in product development. I totally bombed that. And then thankfully, off of the strength of the relationship that I had with um, a corporate partner that I actually met through my previous employer, I was able to come back for a second summer and do an internship in HR. That HR internship turned into a conversion offer to come full-time and to essentially join their global talent management team. My boss at the time, right, the person who was my internship supervisor, if you will, or manager, was catering to my to my preference to not be sort of like an HR person. Like I didn't identify as an HR person, but I did enjoy HR work. And so she said, hey, Layla, come back. I got this project. I'd love you for you to work on and to lead. And so before I even knew what the job was, I was like, sure. I mean, I could work for this woman. I'd go over a cliff for her. Long story short, I came back. Turns out the project was diversity and inclusion, if you can believe it. And so a project really turned into a full-fledged career. And so I like to say that I'm in my third career now doing inclusion-related work, and I'm in my third inclusion role, right? And so I've done it across, you know, science and technology firms, big tech, um, media and entertainment. And so um, right now, if I can be completely honest, I am soul-searching, really back at the drawing board trying to figure out um, how do I keep... Uh, inclusion work core to um, how I do my work, but also not necessarily, um, I, said, I guess I'm, I'm interested in how do I um, grow as a business professional with sort of the inclusion hat always mm. present and top, of, and top of mind, as opposed to it being my work professionally. So mm -hmm. anyway, so that's my career. That's how I got here. And um, yeah, so the the guiding principle these days is, you know, how do we, how do we make the world a better place for uh, folks of different backgrounds and then how do we make those differences make a difference right mm -hmm. so that's that's what I got 
That's awesome. I, I just want to like recap from starting off in wall street to like where you are now is like, I feel like it's a really big shift and it's also super inspiring to hear how, you know, that took you to social services to now DEI work and like it all ties together in like a, a subtle thread. And I love what you were saying around you started off with saying you're a highly sensitive person and that's what caused a lot of the switches because I recently learned that term for myself as well. And and like HSPs for short with people who are in more traditional corporate backgrounds or like corporate structures, right? Mm -hmm. Working on hardcore finance or hardcore, very business driven things. Like how do you reconcile with that? I'm curious your take on it because I've also, you know, had had to shut down that piece or recognize that I had to shut it down in certain aspects because of this like business drain, business brain that really drives like achievement and results and causes the, the sensitive part to shut down. Yeah. So it is, um, I'm at the beginning of, I would say my journey in terms of figuring that out. I think maybe in fairness of folks who are out there trying to figure it out for themselves, I would say it's, it's been, like walking in the dark to a certain extent. And really, um, I have, I like to say that I have like a team of therapists, coaches, mentors, Mm -hmm. sponsors. The benefit of having these people is that they reflect back to me the things that I value and the things that are important to me in moments where I do have to shut that part down, right? Because essentially, if we call that like our superpower, the fact that we are highly sensitive and that we can sort Mm -hmm. of see things in ways that are more clear than maybe other folks and maybe we feel things more deeply, there's wisdom in that. Right. Yep. So what essentially we have to do is turn off our wisdom in order to survive. Yeah. But then we essentially are giving up our comparative advantage as well, because that's also what will help drive more, more thoughtful, um, innovative thinking and decision making. And so I think what I can say is that with, with doing inclusion work, I now have the language to be able to carve out the space that I need. And to establish the boundaries that I need in order to be successful as a highly sensitive person in environments that are not necessarily friendly to people like that. Mm-hmm. And it really requires mutual adaptation. And I often tell my partner and my friends that it takes a very special person to be able to manage someone like me because I'm apologetic, I'm unapologetic about who I am and what my needs are. And I'm perfectly okay, you know, trying something else or, or walking out of the door. I, I'm aware of how employable I am. And with that being the case, you know, if it doesn't work out for you, then I'll go find wherever it does work yeah. and give that a try. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of nonstop, I would, I would relate it to like, you know, what, what dating must be like on these dating apps or the recruiting process itself, right? Where you're essentially, you know, trying to see, well, you know, do your values align with me and do the people align with me? And if so, for how long, what are going to be the red flags and when am I going to I feel like I need to get out of here. So it really is like a, tr- a learn. What is it? They say um, le- uh, learning by fire or like trial and error is really what it is. And I think no two people's journeys are going to be the same with respect mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. No, you touched on something that really resonated and struck because when I coach my clients, it's about learning to leverage that special part of you, whether you call it HS, like you're highly sensitive and that's the secret mm-hmm. sauce or it's something else. But it's like those small differences that we kind of shame ourselves for end up becoming the biggest asset and learning to tune into it. And I've also had clients where they're so afraid of leaning into that because, you know, from survival, you shut it down. But and I know your experience as a coach as well and helping people with that process. Like, what's the first step that you think where they can start to really activate the differences? Because that's the whole thing around DEI, right? People 
who feel like othered in the room or feel like they're the only in the room and then they shut themselves down, but in learning to like actually celebrate the diversity of thought, any, any thoughts on how one person can really start to shift their mindset to thinking like, I'm really valuable. My opinions Mm -hmm. really matter in this room. As you were speaking, my thoughts went immediately to forcing yourself if you have to, right? Some people don't have to force themselves. Forcing yourself to see in what context that superpower actually benefits you, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, if you are a good listener, right? If you're a good listener, in what context does it benefit you to be a good listener? Then what about that context is also present in this new context that you're in? Maybe it's in business, right? So when you think about being a good listener in relationships, like you're always you'll always have great friends, right? Because people want to come talk to you about all their business. They'll tell you all their problems. They want to tell you about, you know, uh, their thoughts and half-baked ideas, right? Um, So it's where in business would having great listening skills benefit you and align to what the success profile looks like. That's how I would, that's the first step is really to know that that's what it is, find where it benefits you, and then try to take that, those sort of, let's say those, the, those um, elements of a specific context and trying to sort of match them to like whatever environment you're in or maybe an, an mm. environment that may be adjacent. Yeah, okay, that's, that's brilliant advice. Yeah, and I think it also starts small because a lot of times it's yeah. like, oh, it's such a big jump to get your mind to thinking, but it could even just be the smallest shift of like listening one-to-one with a colleague mm-hmm. and then growing into bigger meetings, like more visibility and starting exactly. small. Yeah, that's beautiful. When I think about, so like, there's so many things just as, just for additional context for folks that are reading, right? Or listening. There's the one-on-one piece, right? Being a good listener. But when you think of listening broadly, like think about like customer success manager roles, think about product management roles or product development roles. Like you need to be able to really have a pulse on what people are saying, both, you know, in written text, as well as they do observational interviews and they do, um, they do um, focus groups and conversations. And so being able to sort of read between the lines, if you're a good listener, you can sort of, you can draw insights that other people can't, right. From seeing Mm -hmm. how two seemingly disconnected things are related right and so there are just so many we're desperately in need of good listeners is my point right and and that there is not a shortage of places where you could land but that you have to own it you have to own that this is this is what you know your superpower is and just go in there and just knock it out Um, yeah yeah. love it so good so good so I want to switch gears and ask a different question. I know that you still said you're soul searching at the moment, but until for where you are right now, what has been like really guiding you on doing this work? Because you could have stayed in financial services, like you said, and made like a lot of money doing that. But what do you think it is that really drives um, the work that you've done so far? Uh, I'll start by saying that transparently, what has driven me to this work is exactly what's driving me away from it right now. (laughs) Okay. And that is that it is an impossible, for simplicity, I'll say it's an impossible problem to solve, but that's not true. It is an incredibly nuanced, it's Mm -hmm. a really big problem to solve. There's so many different ways to solve it and solving it in different contexts requires different things. And so what that means is that I could spend an entire lifetime engaged in, in this work, and there will still be a lot to do, right? So for someone 
who is um, motivated by like um, maximizing impact or um, being able to make in incremental progress and see how that inf influences a much broader sort of um, more qu quantum leaps, if you will, or quantum quantum leap progress, there's always going to be progress being made because there's always going to be work to do. So that's um, that's that's what's been guiding me is that there's always there's always a need. Mm -hmm. um, and if, for example, let's say that we solved DNI in um, in the U.S., right? There are going to be needs in other geographies, right? And when you have new generations and new people with you know new differences, then that's going to create a need. And so it's almost like a gift that keeps on giving or a problem that keeps on giving, right? Mm -hmm. And that to me is motivating, but also. Um, when you think of it or compare it to, you know, your career success you know, and, and what advancement might look like as an IDNE practitioner, it's unclear. And I am someone who needs to be able to sort of check things off of a to-do list or to see how one thing builds onto the next. And that's where I'm challenged right now. Mm. Like if someone said, Layla, here's the career track for an IDNE person. And this person has a path to like the, you know, board of, of directors of like a company somewhere. I'd say, okay, yeah, cool. I could stay on this track, but that I think it's not, it's not very clear. And so I need to, I guess it's like in, in financial services, we, we would call it a flight to safety, right? For me. So that's what I'm doing with my career right now. I'm saying, okay, well, where is it clear? Where's the path clear? Okay. And maybe I'll do that work and I'll just make sure that I, um, I keep the idea &E in terms of like woven into everything that I do. So mm -hmm. that's a long winded answer, but yeah. Got it. No, what's coming up for me as you say that, and I think I've spoken to other DEI practitioners who feel the similar, similar sentiment. It's like, there's this kind of like a burnout period because they're so passionate about it. And then, then the change doesn't seem like it's really progressed to that level. And then mm -hmm. they, there's like a, you know, a dip in energy and then like it kind of continues on. And I think I'm still working on this myself. I'm not actually in the exact DEI role in corporations, but I feel like I'm DEI adjacent in the work that I yeah. do. And I think the way that I've been trying to think about it is like, look, it's a very long-term it's like a long-term game and a lot of times people will set these goals and the goalpost is always going to be moving like it's That's always right. going to be moving it's never going to be like all right we're finally there let's mm -hmm. we've we solved it all and I think that's what mm -hmm. you're alluding to is that there's always going to be progress to be made so where does that actually start and when does it stop and how to continue sustainably moving forward for progress in the long run which I think is a fast I don't have the answers but I think it's a fascinating yeah. thing to think about especially for people who are in change roles because it's never going to stop. It's never going to end. Yeah. And so then the question is, right. And this is sort of like what I've been asking myself, if it's mm -hmm. never going to end, but you need sort of markers in between to yeah. help you feel like you're achieving and you're succeeding, then what, what are those things? Right? Mm, yeah. What are the thing, what are those incremental gains or what are those interstitial sort of milestones yep. that you can sort of direct yourself to in moments where you feel like man we're going to be working at this forever like am I like right. what am I going to have to show for all of this basically right um, so yeah right and I was thinking about this for myself too like what are those markers there's like external markers of I, I know for me one of the markers is like I want to push out a book that really holds these values in line that would be definitely an external marker and then an internal marker would be for me, this last year was a lot about healing and like racial healing and workplace racial healing and, and doing all of that. And that's like, 
not measurable at all. Like no one will be able to see it except for me and understanding Mm -hmm. that there was a shift there that would enable. So I like to think about it in those two buckets. If anyone's like also feeling like at the end of that, um, trying to figure out what's the next path. It's like, what are internal things to strive for? And sometimes that stuff just happens more organically versus like, we got to drive for this progress and change within an org or within whatever project that we're doing. So that's something that I've been thinking a lot about too. But that makes, yeah. Makes sense. Oh yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, and when you uh, crack that nut, let me know because maybe <laughs> it could change my life, right? I think that's really, it'd be nice if, you know, folks, came around the table and talked about that in particular I think yeah um, I think there's just so much more we might be able to get out of ID&E practitioners and out of ID&E in general if we can um, sustainably keep people engaged and motivated and even attract yeah. people mm-hmm. um, continuously to this work mm-hmm. so yeah Yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask a little bit more about your book and how you came inspired, even for the idea. I know it's not done. And that's, I feel like that's always one of the things is I'm working on a book and it just keeps Mm -hmm. moving and moving. And like, I've come to the point where I've stopped associating like shame that it's not done yet, (laughs) but I'm in the progress of it. So I'm curious to learn more about your journey of writing and what inspired, um, or maybe tell us a little bit more about what you're writing about so get us give us a little yeah. bit of a teaser yeah so the teaser is this is a so I'm writing a book that is essentially um for first generation professionals you know I identify as a first generation professional and it's really um reframing or I would say I'm not sure if reframing is a word but that's the word I've been using reframing this narrative around being a first gen professional as a disadvantage and essentially flipping that on its head to say, actually, no, this is a comparative advantage. So, you know, going back to the conversation we had earlier about HSPs, right? Mm-hmm. It, you, it, you might, you know, the, the world might want you to think that that's a disadvantage, right? But if you hear enough and you connect with enough people that tell you actually no, that is the reason why I experienced this success or I've got this depth of relationship or I feel really nourished and and I'm really fulfilled in my life, those are the conversations that will help folks to own their identities and also make them count. And so the thought is, if the way that we're framing our difference as first-generation professionals is as a comparative advantage, then we can essentially share stories of how people have made game-changing decisions and had game-changing experiences by doubling down on that particular dimension of their identity. So that's what the book is about. And then in terms of where I am with the book, so I uh, was writing for about a year. I think I got probably this program that I was writing with or through um, wanted us to get to the place where we had a really bad first draft. And so I got to the really bad first draft. And um, and then that was right around the time when um, George Floyd was murdered. And it was like an overwhelming flow, nonstop of feelings and emotions that overcame me at the time and I hit a wall I didn't realize until you know I was feeling all the all the things of the racial injustice and and the essentially how there's a double standard when we think about our our justice system Mm -hmm. and all the you know essentially the has and the have nots and the way that you know then you add the pandemic to that and the disproportionate impact on communities of color it's like all the things that I was writing about were on display except not accept, and like it was, and the pe- people were dying along the lines of exactly that, right? So 
I um, hit a wall and I stopped writing. I felt like I really, it was a really emotional thing to write. And I'm just now sort of committing. I'm sort of trying to, you know, remind myself that in January, we're going to get back on the horse and we're going to start writing again and we're going to get this to the finish line. But another sort of to your, to your sort of query about the journey itself, um, I struggled from the perspective of, you know, how I wanted to structure my writing. I had, a, I had this idea that I wanted to be a collection of stories, right, that were based on a collection of inter- interviews that I did to really help draw out some of these, um, let's call them game-changing stories that first-generation professionals had, and also some tidbits at the end to share, hey, here's how you can take, you know, something that's not working for you and sort of reframe it to your advantage. But I hadn't seen a structure in a book that was aligned to that. And so that was part of the issue, right? I, I didn't, never really felt quite comfortable with um, how the book was sort of unfolding. And so then randomly, I came across a book that was structured exactly like how I wanted to do mine. And so that sort of helped me get out of the, get out of the rut. Um, so now that I have the structure, I can write into that structure and sort of, I'll be changing a bunch of things and I'll have to come up with another really bad first draft again but I'll feel a lot more confident about it then. So that's mm-hmm. where I am in terms of the writing journey to be continued in January. <laughs> mm, I am so excited to read that because I, I think it's so needed to hear stories and there's so much like collective healing that happens when you realize mm-hmm. that you're not in it alone. And yeah. when there's like, my biggest thing that I am trying to be vocal about is like, we can't do these things by ourselves. And when people have the stories that I'm the first generation going through this process and no one can relate and no one can help me, then it becomes this like huge burden. So I'm so excited for your book to come out, to just show to people like, and like normalize the conversation. That part, more important than anything. Yes. (laughs) Part of it is like, we just have to know that it's there and it exists and there's no shame attached to it. And we're not alone and we don't have to go through that alone. So I'm so excited to read when it comes out. Yeah. All right. Keep me, listen, keep me accountable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, for me too, I I completely relate because I went through the whole messy first draft and let it sit. And that was when I started doing all the healing of this Mm. is a lot. There's a lot of things that I are unfinished within me. And I think Mm. once the Asian hate crime started happening this year, I was like, all right, that's time, time for me to get on the horse because I was right. I was so angry. And I think that was my motivation. But you know, I'm always like, if it, whatever it is that fuels you and catalyzes it, like just follow, follow the energy. So that's kind of what happens. Take happened. the momentum and go with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. Exactly. All right. I'm curious. So on that note, any tips or advice that you have for someone that might be going through the first generation journey themselves? Cause you have such an amazing background and so much there and so much inspiration to give. Is there anything that you want to leave people with or any takeaways? I, so I'm going to use, there was a woman, her name is Caroline Wanga. I think it's her, it's her last name who used to be at target back in the day. I don't know where she is now, but she would say, and I think I may have mentioned this earlier, like who you are is non-negotiable is the first thing. And who you are, if it includes that you're a first generation professional, it's non-negotiable. Like it is what you're bringing with you when you get there. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that what you need is also non-negotiable. If it's a need, then orient your thought process and your thinking around asking, asking more of your environment. And that's partly what I'm intending to do as I think about my work as an inclusion practitioner. It's to really help folks develop the confidence 
and the conviction around saying, you know what? I get that I have needs that are different than yours, but different doesn't mean that it's less than. And different needs require different resources, right? They require a different understanding, right? And so that's not, that's not on you as the person who requires that need. It does require that mutual adaptation. And so to the degree that I think, you know, if we as first-gen professionals can get out of our heads more, like spend less time in our heads and spend more time really evaluating the environments that we're in, we'll be much better positioned to ask more of our environments because we'll be able to see the mm. shortcomings. We'll be able to see the gaps. And this world is not going to adjust for us if we don't hold it accountable to do that. So it's about really, y'all be confident, right? Really know what's important to you. Really know who you are. Really, really nail down the things that are important to you. And then just be unapologetic about going after it and going, going out there and getting it. Because I promise you that there are um, other people that are much more privileged positions that do this with ease and mm. they're running circles around us, right? Mm -hmm. um, so let's give them, you know, let's give them something to, um, let's give them growth areas. Let's give mm -hmm. them ways to support us. Let's allow ourselves to be, to be seen and to be visible. Mm -hmm. And it starts with, you know, knowing yourself and going out there and saying, hey, look, this is who I am. Here's what I need. What do you have? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like shifting the, yeah, the inner narrative. And I, I see this like for myself and for others, like sometimes we ho just hold on to these stories that like will lock us in and it's being able to really rewrite that narrative and not feel like we're going after these because that's what we've been told or like, that's just mm -hmm. what's expected, but to hold enough of that self-belief like you said, know what's non-negotiable and hold the mm -hmm. values high. So everyone else around can start to adjust versus like lowering ourselves to yeah. try and fit in. That's such a beautiful. Yeah. And I want you mentioned one thing that triggered mm -hmm. another thought for me. And I wanted to just say that yeah. when we think about, it's not to say that what we've been taught up to this point hasn't served us. Like, let us take some time and really honor that what we've learned up to this point, the narratives that we've received, some that we've internalized and some which we've rejected, they've all served us to the point of getting, to the, to the extent of getting us here. But what has gotten us here will not get us there. And so say, you know, in coaching, I think, you know, we talk about inner critics and we, we talk about inner mentors and things like that. To a certain degree, I think that as a first-gen professional, um, there are some narratives and some limiting beliefs that have really helped to protect us and to keep us on the tra on track. So we must thank those narratives. We must thank those limiting beliefs for getting us this far. But now it's time to tell those narratives and those limiting beliefs to take a seat, right? Thank you for getting me here, but I got it from now. Thank you and just let's move on, right? And every time that those thoughts come up, we need to manage them. Because trying to, trying to make believe that they're not there is only gonna make them come back stronger, right? So let's look at them in the face or in the, in the spirit or in the energy and then say, you know what? I see you, I thank you, I no longer need you. I'm moving in this direction and I don't need you to come with me. So, right, that's just, that's another thing, right? That folks that they need to hear is that don't be someone else, right? <laughs> just mm -hmm. give honor yeah. to the things that have, have have led you here and then make room for the things that are going to get you to the next place yeah so good I got goosebumps as you were saying that it's like yeah what got you here won't get you there and dropping off all of those stories that no longer serve you to mm -hmm. just make room for like new expansive expansive growth so good 
couple more questions as you know, we're at the tail end of 2021 this year, but what are you looking forward to next year within your realm? What are some of the things that you think are going to be shifting um, within the industry, if anything? Yeah. Anything on the radar for you? Um, I think the biggest thing um, just for me, most of them are like personal. I am in a committed relationship with a man that I hope to be with for the rest of my life or I plan to be with for the rest of my life. And I am looking forward to making that commitment official and, you know, doing all the adult things like getting married and then the children that will come with that. And then we're also doing, we're also like searching for a home. And then there's also this career switch, right? So those are all the personal things going on. I'm going to have probably like three or four life things going on at the same time Mm -hmm. as I am also venturing out into a different sort of career, if you will, right? So how do I rebrand myself? Not necessarily away from DNI, but how do I rebrand myself and align to core business opportunities and bring the DNI or the IDE skill set as a value add, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is sort of what I'm looking forward to, those those things. And then more broadly, thinking about where we are as um, as a as a universe right world. It would be nice to have COVID somewhat behind us. So I'm looking forward to the advances in in medicine and technology to help get us get us through the next sort of hurdle there. I'm also looking forward to how our policies and our systems are going to change, right? Recognizing all the gaps that we've identified throughout mm-hmm. throughout this this COVID or and or pandemic. And I'm also, and finally, right, I'm looking forward to seeing more corporations step up, right, and partnering with municipalities and federal governments, like across the globe, really, to drive solutions that might, you know, might be out of the realm of possibility were it not for a partnership between, you know, private, public and private um, organizations. And so those are um, the big picture things. And I have, you know, my partner to thank. I'm someone who identifies as like growing up in like, you know, business. And he's someone who's got a really strong policy background. He's been teaching me how things happen on the other side. And now that I know better, it's just like, man, it takes a, it takes a a partnership really to get, to get through some of the things that we've been through and you've seen it right with, you know, vaccinations and, um, and with Mm -hmm. hospitalizations and things like that and how we are essentially businesses are helping to keep people accountable and driving, you know, um, compliance around vaccination and things like that. It doesn't happen unless both sides are holding up their end of the deal. So all those things are things I'm looking forward to. And I know, you know, maybe I'm romanticizing or maybe I'm too optimistic. I don't know. But um, those are the things for the next year. That is, that is the fascinating, I I hadn't even thought about like, yeah, the the intersection of policy and business and more driving social change and social mm-hmm. justice, because that I think is a really big piece. Like the vaccine example is a, a beautiful one of how or, like corporations are starting to hold people accountable there because the governments can't. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of power for people like you in the corporate world who are driving change on the DEI side if we're not going to see it elsewhere in, in normal policy. So that's really, really fascinating fascinating things to think about. Awesome. Okay. Last question. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Oh man. So I have a website that is under construction. It's LaylaARamirez.com. And then there's also, I guess I'm not very active on, um, on social media with the exception of like LinkedIn. So if folks want to send me a message on LinkedIn, 
um, that's okay. My name is Layla Ramirez on there. And then, um, I mean, they could also get in touch with me through you, right? If, if they've got <laughs> your contact somehow, or they, you know, ask how to, how to do that. I'm happy to, uh, to work with you to, to get plugged in with folks um, on, on request. So yeah, that's what I got, I think so far. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Layla, for just taking the time and sharing your experience and perspective. It's very much appreciated. I got a lot of good inspiration and, you know, your work is so needed in this day and age. And I'm just so glad that we were connected and to have people in that journey of, you know, very similar, like, like-minded value. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your message. My pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Let me know um, how I can be supportive. I want to make sure that I'm doing what I can to also amplify your message and um, help drive uh, your agenda to where it needs to go as well. So think of me as a co-conspirator in all things. I can be helpful. Awesome. Thanks so much, Layla. My pleasure. Thanks for listening today. If you are enjoying what you're hearing and want to take the work deeper, there are several ways to work with me. I work with my individual clients for a period of six months, supporting them through various aspects, whether it's a career transition or with honing in on their own unique leadership style. Head to www.michelleku.com to learn more or follow me on Instagram at michelle.k.yu for more actionable tips and insights on how you can break limits in your career. New podcast episodes come out every week, so subscribe or join my email list. I'll see you all next time.